we got each other. We go for the swing of things now. Oh, God. Yeah, kind of. There's sort of a routine here. It's kind of nice. Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Hamsteak Podcast, a podcast about Homestuck. My name's Lydia. I've read Homestuck before. My name's Alex, and I'm reading for the first time. If you're following along at home, we are picking up today's reading on page 2,209. That's not literally 2,200 pages into the story. It's just the number at the end of the URL that you can use to reference the pages. Alex, do you want to take us through the, the previously on? Sure. So, when we left off, uh, Rose, who we met last time... Uh, had descended from the observatory to get the generator from behind the mausoleum at our house to uh, reconnect with John, who is stuck somewhere mysterious. Right, because Rose is John's server player in this beta version of a game called Suburb, and she's got control over his environment, but um, she can't really see what he's doing or help him out because she's obviously got no power, no Wi-Fi, Mm -hmm. life is bad. There's, like, meteors coming down around her house. It's fun. Yep. Um, and then we left you last week with a cliffhanger that I arbitrarily inserted by deciding to divide <laughs> the reading up that way. Um, so after getting totally faked out on Rose supposedly going to confront her mother in the hallway, we find ourselves actually staring at um, some blonde kid with sunglasses. So the blonde kid, as it turns out, is Dave. This Dave. Is Dave. <laughs> the third child. Yes. Um, I think I think the story has pretty sufficiently let on by now that we are to expect four children. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of plays with uh, our expectations about the intro of this child now. Such as uh, the past two children, we have... Um, the audience has given them goofy names before finding out their real names. Uh, and Dave just uh, cuts the dialogue box in half before that can finish up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he is not having any of that because Dave, Dave wants us to know that Dave is like cool as hell. Yeah. So his real name is Dave Strider. Right. Which to me sounds a lot like, like a generic protagonist name, like Jack Hunter. (laughs) Dave is, is not, not having being called an insufferable prick by the audience. Nope. Um, and then we learn some things about... Tough protagonist Dave Strider's many interests, which continue to feel, as we meet more and more characters, sort of more and more contrivedly strange. Am yeah. I wrong? And like, is that is that perception mis- misplaced or? Um, I don't know. I feel kind of like the Lovecraftian psychology is less weird than photography and dead things. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels very arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what I kind of feel like it is. Yeah. Um, obviously, like, a couple of them are going to be relevant to the character. Right. But I can't see every single thing coming back, especially since you've said with John that not everything comes back. Right, yeah. John, we lose a lot of John's interest. We, we completely forget most of Dave's interests, um, which is just, like, reading these intros, I love, because I forgot 
where these kids started. Like, uh-huh. I forgot how, I mean, like, they have weird interests, but I forgot how grounded these kids are. Mm-hmm. Like, they, I, I kind of like the sort of belabored introduction because they, like, live and breathe from day one. Yeah. You know? They feel very authentic and, like, pretty rich. And, um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess, like, since, I mean, later in the story, obviously, things happen and they can't go about their normal lives. So, so it's good to introduce their interests and such at the beginning and kind of flesh them out as characters when that stuff can't really be put later on, I guess. Right. Right, because we learn a lot about them in terms of their personalities and in terms of their development later on. So yeah. It's nice to have the the hashtag relatable stuff <laughs> right now. Um, so we, we learn some stuff about Dave. We poke around in Dave's room, and we see that Dave has got the same sort of one-upmanship going on with his bro, who we can assume is his caretaker, that yeah. we see with, with uh, John and his dad and Rhodes and his mom. Except it seems like Dave really loves his brother, like, very much. Yeah, Dave, like, clearly idolizes his bro. We see later on that he, you know, just goes on and on about, like, like how... Not necessarily goes on and on, but, like, never mentions his bro without saying, like, how cool something is that his mm-hmm. bro did or whatever brought up his bro. And he's, like, trying to emulate him, and he, like, mentions, like, trying to, like, I don't know, do the things that his bro recommends him to do. Which is mm-hmm. funny, because at the same time, they do seem to have this one-upmanship going on, so... <laughs> I don't know. Either way, it's, like, strange living situation dynamics. So, um, we see that John gave Dave some authentic Ben Stiller sunglasses for his birthday. And they're yeah. the gla- sunglasses that um, Dave is wearing at the moment, which is really sweet. It's really extremely... I love I love Dave and John's friendship. Mm-hmm. They're really... I don't know. I feel like for as much as we see, like, male friendship, like, portrayed and glorified in the media, we don't see, like, men being... Or boys being, like thought especially boys being like thoughtful yeah with each other yeah it's really nice to see yeah <laughs> i actually wrote um at one point um john is or dave is thinking to himself like oh it's a good thing i looked at that box that john sent me because otherwise like oh like you meaning i because the, the narrator is speaking in second person you might have forgotten john's birthday and i was just like no you wouldn't <laughs> like he's a big he's He's a sweetheart. Um, oh, I want to talk about Dave's browser. So we talked yes. about... Yeah. Um, so the last two kids that we've met so far, their browsers have been um, Cetus. Who was the other one? The... Rose has Cetus. And uh, John has Typhius, right? Yeah. So Dave has Hephaestus, mm-hmm. um, which, first of all, I'm just very interested in the variety of the browser choice. Mm-hmm. That we're seeing here, but also, so so Dave has Hephaestus, and I think that's interesting because so far they've all been monsters. Um, but Hephaestus is like a guy, yeah. Um, like he's a god, um, and so I mean, you probably are familiar with him from yes. you know mandatory classical god learning, which I don't know why we teach that in schools, but we do. Um, well, I learned all <laughs> that independently a lot, lo- a lot earlier than I was taught it. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> 
Well, then do you, can you tell us about Hephaestus? Yeah, Hephaestus is um, the Greek god of blacksmithing, basically. Um, but also, I'm just, I'm just going to look at the Wikipedia that you put here. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, craftsmen, artisans, and sculptors, and things like that. And um, volcanoes. He's, his, uh, his Roman version is Vulcan, which is what um, Spock's home planet is named. Yes. I'm nodding as though you can see me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, basically he's like fire and metal. But he's also supposed to be really kind. Um, and he's he's got like a a prosthetic leg. Yeah, yeah. He's supposed to be... I think he is like... Yeah, he, he's got some kind of prosthetic... I think it is a prosthetic leg, right? Because people talk about like him like having... like He, he was like supposedly thrown off of the, the mountain. yeah. So it's yeah, it's interesting that like a god has uh, like doesn't regenerate his leg, because I mean even in um, in the same mythos with um, Prometheus, mm-hmm. who like regenerated his bowels every day. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, I don't. The, the, it's interesting. Maybe it's maybe it's meant to say something about it being more integral to sort of the essence of who Hephaestus is, rather yeah, than just like a he he, he chose to keep this prosthetic leg which is sweet yeah um and he's also he's supposed to be like very homely very uh unattractive but um married to aphrodite the goddess of beauty and love wait i completely forgot that oh my god they're my um they are my classical mythology otp (laughs) um well i don't think she's like i don't remember if she's always faithful to him but it's, it's it's greek mythology what do you expect yeah. I'm just happy. They're together and they don't seem terribly unhappy. Yeah, that's true. It's the main thing. Hold on, I want to look up Aphrodite and Hephaestus. <clears throat> <laughs> the first... Can you, okay, wait, don't, don't, don't type anything. Can you guess what the first result for Aphrodite and Hephaestus is? Porn. Fan fiction. Oh! Um, and then... Aphrodite, Aphrodite and Hephaestus Disney, Aphrodite and Hephaestus Summary, Aphrodite and Hephaestus Child Fan Fiction, hmm. which I don't know what that is. I'm going to click that one. Does it mean it's written by a child, or is it about, is it about their child? I think, it, oh yeah, that's probably what it is. They want to know about their kids. <laughs> <laughs> the internet is an adorable place sometimes. Oh, so pure. <laughs> Oh, this is all from, oh, of course, this is all from the Disney movie. Aphrodite is getting ready for the wedding of Hercules and Meg. Oh my god, okay, we can't, we can't go down this rabbit hole anymore. <laughs> so, um, in our Homestart podcast mm-hmm. today, we're gonna learn about, um, oh, okay, so, so, we're, we're hanging out with Dave, we're meeting Dave, right? Yeah. And, um... This conceit was sort of like hinted at um, when we were meeting Rose, but it's becoming more and more obvious now where every time we meet a new character, we're actually going back, at least for the kids, we're going back to the same moment in time. Like the, we, the, the moment when the reader first sees them is the same moment Okay. for all of them chronologically. So like we, we meet Dave, we bum around with Dave for a while, and then Dave has, like, it is just copy-pasted onto this page the conversation, the first conversation that we see John and Dave have. Yeah. 
Um, and you can tell from the timestamp, it's 4.13 p.m., which is, it's interesting that he's got that timestamp because um, John is in the Pacific Northwest and Dave, as we will later find out, is in Texas. We don't find this out for a while, but it's not, I don't know, I don't feel like it's an important spoiler. It okay. literally is never relevant again. Sure. Dave is in Texas, which is why it's hot as fuck. There's 4.13 again. In April. Right, yeah. Um, so, but, like, what, what's weird to me is that he's got the timestamp um, set the same as his friend in the Pacific Northwest instead of his oh, own yeah. location. I'm not sure if that's a narrative inconsistency or just kind of, like, charming. Mm-hmm. Like, like because it does seem like these kids don't necessarily have a lot of friends outside of their internet oh. companionship. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Which, like... <laughs> Seems to resonate a lot with a lot of people. Not that, like, I had no friends at that age, but, like, I definitely had, like... The friends that I did have, I spent more time talking to on the internet than in real life, usually. So, right. like, even though, like, we went to school together or whatever, like, we couldn't drive. We lived too far away to see each other, so... Yeah. To, like, walk to each other. So, yeah, like, after school, it was like, all right, gonna sit on AOL Insta Messenger. <laughs> so the next thing I want to talk about is how... Uh, Dave is canonically the creator of Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff yeah. in this universe. Yes. He, like, or wait, is he, is he the creator or is it Bro? I'm going to check this. I'm going to fact he, check you here. He said, um, like, this is the webcomic that I make. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I have this intricate online persona of the person who makes this. Yes. Because he runs a bunch of, like, ironic blogs. Mm-hmm. Like, he pretends to be a bunch of people on the internet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he like thrives off of people getting trolled by him or something mm-hmm. so he's uh that's his hobby yeah okay so here's the thing alex did you read sweet bro and hella jeff no do you didn't read it I, I i think i missed the boat you should go click it right now go to page 2226 and then click on the link to sweet bro and hella jeff and read that 2000, wait, what was it? 2226. 2226. I will read along with you because I fucking love Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff. Just like gaze upon this fucking website. Oh. Hold on. No, because I've seen, I know Sweet, I know of Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an actual comic that someone made. It is, yeah. Did you? Are you on page two 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 six? Yeah, and now I'm at Sweet Bro and Hello Jeff. Okay, and you're like reading the comic. Yes, it's just is Sweet Bro and Hello Jeff just this one image? No, 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 no. Scroll down. Yeah, I can't wait to be a useless piece of shit all day and play these games just like me. <laughs> and right, and then like it's a comic, but then like the navigation works. Like it is. They've got shirts. They, like, published... They kickstarted and published an entire, like, hardcover book. Um, There are at least 46 comics. I think there are more. Okay, but my question is, was this made entirely, like, in-universe in Homestuck? Yes. I thought this was, like, someone else's weird comic that Andrew Hussey was jokingly taking credit for on behalf of Dave. No, no, he literally invented this entire comic. I had no idea. <laughs> oh my god. So wait, have you read Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff comics before? 
No, I've I've just I've just seen like the imagery of them. Ah. I know yeah. of them. The the God. Oh my god. There is so much wrong with Homestuck, but like it actually is like c- quite good. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea this was an in-universe Homestuck joke. Yeah. Oh my god. That's it just fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I told you about the stairs, bro. <laughs> I told you, dog. It keeps happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Whatever. All right. So, so now that you've you've now that we've untangled that whole, I'm just gonna go ahead and add Sweet Bro and Holly Jeff to my reading list. <laughs> well, so it actually, um, I believe, it updates. All of the updates are within the narrative, so oh, you can I just see. read them along with this comic <laughs> if you want. All right. Yeah. That's um, what do. So. Um, in the vein of comics within comics, we, we leave Sweeper and Hella Jeff and almost immediately move into um, The Midnight Crew. Yes. Which we read sort of through Dave's eyes on the comics version of MSPaintAdventures.com, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just this comic about... I'm mentioning this because it will be important later. Um, it's this comic about, like, some mob types. They're these, like almost insectoid-looking creatures because they're, like, completely, like, all jet black and their wardrobe is black and they're, like, completely, like, rounded and, like, generic. Like, they have no facial features. Like, their heads are just completely plain and go into their... None of them have, like, necks, I think. And, like, they're just, like, these strange-looking people. These these images are their literal representations. Yes. All right. Yeah, this is literally what they look. They look like I mean they look like um problem sleuth characters pretty much. Um but like vaguely more sinister because they're all wearing like f- fedoras and jet black trench coats. And they have like evil looking eyes and stuff and they're like about to go plot a heist is really the main thing. Right. Um but we find that they are stuck in their hideout cuz someone is parked on top of the door. Oh. To their then like the door opens out of the ground, and there's there's a van parked on top of it. So, it, it continuing in a, in a long and proud vein of characters being stuck behind doors. <laughs> we have the Midnight Crew. Um, so, and sorry. also, wait, 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 go ahead. You go ahead first, and then Just, I will. Is Midnight Crew also an in-universe comic, or is it real? Yes. No, it's in the universe. Okay. Yeah, and that that doesn't have its own website. All of it, all the Midnight Crew comics are are just sort of in line. Okay. But, so I'd also like to point out on page 2231, I don't know if you noticed this, um, there's an arm sticking out of the wall. Oh. In the top left corner. There sure is. There's an arm with a little bit of a light blue glow. Mm -hmm. That was um, retconned in about 7,000 pages after this. Okay. Um... And that's really all I can tell you because it, it like is actually like that's kind of a huge going on. Sure, it's like it's like a it's like part of like the crux of the whole story is that this the arm <laughs> has gotten retconned. And like not that arm in particular, but that whole process. Yeah. Um. So stay tuned, folks. All right. <laughs> For more, um, but yeah. So I'm a little bit annoyed going back and rereading this. It's kind of like when you try and watch Star Wars. Like, the original trilogy of Star Wars, <laughs> but, like, you have to, like, you try and watch, like, the DVD version, and there's, like, just shit in it. 
Yeah. Like, there's just, like, new shit, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, at least this is, like, plot-relevant new shit, but I'm still, like, you can't... Oh, are the Are the original panels online everywhere? Anywhere? Like, have I just lost the experience of this, like, elbow-free Midnight Crew panel forever? I don't know. Yes, it is lost to time. R.I.P. Um, okay, so then we have a, a lovely, casually problematic interaction between um Rose and Dave. Yeah. Yeah, let's just uh skip over that. We'll just skip over that. Just some rude language and Rose being uncharacteristic again. Yeah, right, but like she's characterized quite well and just happens to be like choosing to use humor that is just not actually funny and kind of hurtful. So mm-hmm. when I promise the characterization dialogue gets better. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, which is cool because, so we do that, um, and we briefly see, so what's going on as we're, as Dave is having all of these conversations and, like, noodling around in his room, is John is very slowly in, like, short and interspersed cuts following this trail from his balcony into his bedroom of that, like, mysterious black oil stuff. Um... But in on a lighter note, we get to play around with this interactive beat generator <laughs> in Dave's room. Yeah, and it's so good. It is. It's really fun. It's surprisingly full featured. It is. I gotta say, you can make you could make some pretty sick beats. You can. So yeah, it um, the uh, text scrolling at the top of the machine mm-hmm. actually credits all the beats. Oh, nice. Sorry. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I, I realize that like we keep. There's there's increasingly like stuff programmed into these pages and there's music and stuff that we haven't been crediting. Um, some of it isn't credited in line, but some of it is. We're gonna try and be better with that in the future mm-hmm. um, because this comic I had forgotten how collaborative it is. Sort of from day one. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot. There's a big team of people who've worked on this and they yeah. deserve credit. Nice. Um, so I, I watched that whole credits uh, scroll by. I watched that whole credits kind of murky, um, looking for Toby Fox's name, mm-hmm. but I guess that he had not been uh, part of the project at this point. Yeah, I guess not. Because most of them are actually by Robert J. Lake. Okay. And some of them are by Andrew Hussey himself, and there's a couple of other people as well. Oh. I don't know Hussey made any music. That's interesting. I mean, I guess it's not hard to just make a beat in GarageBand yeah, or whatever. Yeah, just little but... loops. But, but yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so we leave Dave's, um, little mixed deck. <laughs> Alex just wrote, aw, he love he brother. <laughs> why do you, why did you write that? I don't remember. Oh, I think it's because he was looking at the puppet outside his room. And oh. he's like, like, cause his brother collects puppets, just like John's, uh, dad collects Harlequins. Oh God. Yes. That is exactly what's happening. <laughs> but instead, instead of being creeped out by these creepy little homunculi, He's just like, ah, oh, this is so cool. My brother's so cool. I, and it's really sweet. I feel like, I feel maybe this is colored by some things that we learn about puppets much later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always read um, Dave's, like, enthusiastic praise for his bro's puppets as, like, him desperately trying to make himself okay with living completely surrounded by fucking puppets all the time. (laughs) 
I can believe that. You know, like, he's just taking the opposite approach of, like, Rose, of, like, instead of deciding that it's, like, toxic, just being like, fuck yes, I fucking love puppets. <laughs> what could be cooler than this, like, vaguely, like, pimp caricature slash also, like, old-timey guy marionette hanging mm. in front of my bathroom door? Sick. <laughs> um... So, yeah, so Dave wades through a bunch of fucking puppets to get a towel um, <laughs> to clean up some juice that he spills everywhere mm-hmm. um, and proceeds to have a bunch of, like, Silidex fuckery going on. Yeah. Um, okay, so, sorry, go ahead. It's just interesting that, like, um, when he rings out the towel, the name of the item turns from, like, wet towel just to towel, and that changes where it is in the Silidex. Right, yeah, that's why I, I really I really find that mechanic interesting, because it seems like Dave can pretty much decide what he wants the name of the item to be, like, as yeah. long as it's not inaccurate. Yeah. Um, I think I remember, like, more fuckery happening, happening later on. I'm sure. Because um, there are limits to sort of how far you can push that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, um, in the vein of people losing their copies of the beta... Um, Dave hangs up his um, betas that he has spilled, he, right, because you have the, the player disc and the server disc. He accidentally spilt some juice on them, so he hangs them up on his, like, line in his room that he uses to, like, hang his um, his photos to dry, because he does a darkroom thing. Yeah. Which doesn't seem, I'm pretty sure you can't do that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think they need to stay in the dark while they develop. Well, he probably um, has a curtain over his window when he's actually using it. I, like, I guess, but, like, that's kind of a stretch. Like, it needs to be, like, completely pitch black. Like, I don't know. Maybe he, has he, just, really, he has a really thick curtain. I, uh, okay. It's, it's fine. But, okay, so speaking of curtains over his windows, he his window is open right mm-hmm. now because it's a, a trillion degrees because he's in Texas in the summer. Mm-hmm. And um, inexplicably... <laughs> An arbitrary crow flies in and um, grabs the discs because, fine, sure. Yeah, because, uh, you know, gotta move the plot along. Gotta have some uh, conflict. Right. Um, With the consequence that Dave goes stop and, like, I think that causes his Silidex to chuck the ninja sword at the bird. (laughs) Yep. So I guess he, um, when he shouts verbs, things happen with his Silidex. Yeah, which seems like it could have some important consequences, which, incidentally, this will have consequences straight through the present day. Not in a, not in necessarily a meaningful way. This does not strictly change how things play out. We just keep seeing a result of it. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it permeates, like, we see it frequently, this motif of um, birds... Stabbed through the chest. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. This I told you this comic gets pretty dark pretty fast. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, we um, he he knifes this this bird through the chest and sends it flying out his window. So it's this like sword in a bird holding his discs out yes. the window. Dave's yes. pretty boned at this point. So also the window shatters just like John's did, which is another interesting parallel. In, like, the introductions of the characters. John's window shattered? Yeah, he had some glass shards in a Silidex, and they went into the uh, Harlequin on the couch. 
Right, he launched, right, so he, um, that's, I didn't even notice that parallel, but yeah, what is it? He accidentally launches the PDA out of yeah. the Silidex, right? And he goes through the window. And then, yeah, and so he ends up with, with glass shards, and I imagine it's probably even, like, a reused shattered window graphic. Probably. Um, and, um, oh yeah, so, so he, he launches something out a window, shattering his window. Mm-hmm. And then ends up maiming um, an object, like a yes. vaguely sort of sentient seeming object, right? We've got this. We've got this continuing theme of um, of like maimed or or modified, <laughs> um, vaguely sentient um, presence, or not vaguely sentient, vaguely um, vaguely animal or human presences. Sure, like the bird or the the do- roses um, squid doll. Oh, right, yeah. Squid Princess. I yeah. Love I think we actually see Squid Princess in... Yeah, we'll talk about that after. Oh, okay, so we haven't even gotten there yet. I was going to say, are we done? We're not done. Nope. Um, but yeah, so um, so we've got, we've got um, maiming, we've got shattered windows. Um, the list of motifs in this comic is mm. alarmingly long. I'm, I'm sure. I love it. <laughs> if you don't love it, this comic is perhaps not for you. Okay. Speaking um, of, speaking of motifs and connections between the between the characters, mm-hmm. we switch back to Rose, who um, apparently her house, like John's house, is full of Harlequins, and mm-hmm. Dave's house is full of puppets. Uh, Rose's house is full of wizards. Yes. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love the like loving description that we get. From the narrator of this twenty foot tall granite wizard statue and like his twinkling eyes <laughs> and everything, because it's just like I've never really thought very hard about what wizards look like <laughs> or what they mean. Sure. And it just like it just the narration just lingers over this like mystical old guy for like uncomfortably long. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a relief when you go to the next page and Rose is just like, it's disgusting and I hate it. <laughs> um, and then we, so we're sort of following Rose on her way out the back door mm-hmm. of her house. And on the way, she sort of stops to examine various battlegrounds in the ongoing, what she imagines to be a passive aggressive war between her and her mother. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the vacuum with a cup holder Mm -hmm. for mom's alcoholic, ubiquitous alcoholic drinks that the mom has uh, bronzed and placed on a pedestal. Yeah, right? There's even, like, she had an outlet put in there so she can keep it plugged in. Like, (laughs) it's very sweet. And then, like, so she goes into the kitchen and, like, there's this whole... This whole mess on the fridge. Oh man, it's it's so okay. So this is one of those things that you can interpret either as passive aggression or as like just weird affection. Yeah. Her, her mom. So Rose, when she was little, drew a picture of her cat Jasper's. R.I.P. Mm. Jasper's. <laughs> and her mom bought a fifteen thousand dollar frame for it and welded it to the fridge. <laughs> welded it to the fridge. Um. And so Rose is just like, oh my god, she's mocking me. And at that point, like, I feel like with a childhood drawing in particular, I want to be like, 
she thinks that it's cute, and she thinks that you're her adorable baby girl, and you should maybe speak to your mother ever. Yep. But that's just me. <laughs> it's very easy for me to say no longer being 13 years old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's <laughs> there's a whole... There's a whole breakdown of communication going on on yeah. that fridge. It's just read the comic. It's a good time. It's it was probably one of my favorite segments so far. Yeah. Oh, I love I love Rose and her her mom. Hussy Hussy tells it better than we can. Just go read it. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we can say that, that that kind of back and forth. If you're reading along with us, but you don't want to scroll through the whole thing again, that thing starts on page 2265. Yes. Right, you can you can jump in right there. And so as Rose is sort of lingering in her kitchen, gives her mom enough time to show to sh- up. Mm-hmm. To which she responds, "This bird's got to fly." <laughs> and does a youth roll. I don't get the joke of youth roll. Like I don't get why that's funny. Like it's funny, but I, I don't understand. Is that is I, that a reference? No, I feel like it's just because she is a youth, so she can, like, be casually acrobatic. Mm. I see. Because all children are incredibly agile. Well, compared to adults. Okay. <laughs> yes, so Dave, Dave noodles around for a little while on his Generation 1-looking iPhone, which is mm-hmm. P-Suite. That's, <laughs> so that, that's one thing that's actually really funny, um, is that... These characters, despite this comic honestly not being that old, like, it really is set in, I think, 2009? Yeah. Um, but, like, nobody has a... Like, Dave is, like, a cool kid early adopter, so he's got a smartphone, and everybody else just has, like... Seems like... I think Rose has, like, a dumb phone. Um, Is that what you call it? Like, a flip phone, yeah. i just call it a flip phone. I wouldn't call it a dumb phone. It's trying its best, Lydia. That's what? It's trying its best. I'm sure it is. See, that's the thing. Like, I, I feel like I only say it because, A, it's kind of funny, and B, it, it helps just, like, I like emphasizing dichotomies when they're not toxic. Sure. Because um, they are, like, useful and interesting sort of cognitive something, something? Sure. Something? All right. Um, but so, yeah, so these kids don't have smartphones, which is... Framework. Cognitive framework. There you go. Yeah. Um... These kids I mean, don't have smartphones. Yeah, these kids don't have smartphones, and I, I'm so interested in that because I feel like that is like one of like the next great sort of like digital divides. Almost like kids who are mobile native and kids mm-hmm. who aren't, because like I'm not mobile native. I had to learn how to text, <laughs> um, really, and it was like hard. And like I had to learn how to like you know, like, be adopting social media apps or whatever, but, like, even just, like, my, my siblings who are some amount of years younger than me, like, my, my brother who's four years younger than me, I feel like he's part of a hive mind because <laughs> he's on Twitter and on Instagram and these, like, kids, like, since they were in, like, middle school, have just always known what they were doing. That's true. And also, like, Vine kids who are, like, immediately hilarious yeah. with the medium of Vine. Whereas, like, I tried to make a vine, and it was just, like, a plant. Just, like, a video of a plant. I was like, this is a good vine. I mean, like, why have we decided that that for a vine to be good, it must be, like, a hilarious joke that everyone will want to repost? I feel like that's sort of just a false metric. 
Sure, but I mean, that's also just get, what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, anyway, I think we could talk about vines for hours. <laughs> anyway, um, so about Homestuck. Homestuck. <laughs> um, so, right, oh, so I, I was talking about the digital divide, or not the digital divide exactly, but... The mobile divide? Yeah, right, and how interesting it is that these kids, like, aren't necessarily, like, mobile device native, which is interesting because they're all com- going to continue to communicate via chat as they, like, go have adventures in physical worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, they're lugging around laptops with them to, like, do that a lot of the time, um, or at least for the start of the story. And um, I just, like, I feel like it resonated a lot with me and with, like, the whole generation of, like, teens who did communicate with like desktop chat which I think there's actually a pretty narrow windows maybe like eight to ten years when that was a thing yeah you know um I'm I was on the ass end of it too (laughs) um and that's really all I guess I have to say but like I just seeing seeing the artifact of like what is what is already it's it's anachronistic really Mm -hmm. like for if you didn't really think about the fact that this is set in 2009, like it's already anachronistic to the present in 2009 in like an important way, you know? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's nuts. It is. It's yeah. It's, it's wild. Time is wild. Yeah. Um, time is meaningless. I feel like I have to say that every episode now. (laughs) That's my catchphrase. (laughs) Oh, and also I just, I love John's comeback. Dave, Dave, like, delivers a number of sick burns um, before ending the conversation, and John is just like, yeah, more like the opposite of all those things is the thing that is true. Oh. John is my favorite. That's really good, yeah. That's also exactly how I respond when people try to sick burn me. I think (laughs) I've actually tried to say that quote, and I had forgotten that it was a Homestuck quote. It just seemed like a thing to say. (laughs) Good. It just insinuated itself into my consciousness. Good. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've uh, we've been following John into his bedroom, following this kind of trail of oil, mm-hmm. and we finally see what this thing is, and it seems to be what was kind of hiding in the shadows in the uh, sequence where his house was being like transported or whatever. Right. Um, and it is like a little version of the Harlequin sprite, but like pitch black. Yes, it's this little like monster looking thing with like teeth. It actually looks like a teeny tiny version of one of the um, Mount Midnight Crew characters. Because again, it's like a jet black, vaguely sort of insectoid looking little guy with like angry looking eyes and a Harlequin hat. So yeah, so uh, Rose and John are kind of both in strifes, which are the battles in Homestuck, simultaneously. So I guess we'll first talk about Rose. Uh, so she's uh, encountered her mother in the kitchen, and her mother is holding a martini glass, and they have the choice, again, to abscond, abjure, aggrieve, etc. So is that, like, the, um... Is that the general strife, uh thing i think so yeah it we stopped we stopped seeing uis for strife after a while and i don't remember when hmm. Um, so so they don't stay um 
interactive? No, I, after a while it just becomes like they it's actually it's amazing what he does with this medium of like single large panel not visually juxtaposed um comics he'll do like these silent fight scenes in that format and they're quite beautiful and very like dynamic and engaging um but yeah he does well because the fights become more like high stakes over time and so instead of being like hokey ui like click the buttons it's like yeah cool (laughs) but yeah we do move away from from that um mechanic as it were cool so yeah uh rose fucking stabs her mother uh, with her knitting needles. She she tries to. I'm not sure that... I think the implication is that she's unsuccessful. Yeah, so there's like a, a block mechanic. They both... They kind of are at an impasse. They're, it's kind of like their, uh, their war of attrition. Like, neither of them can really get a hit on each other. Right, yes. Rose is just too youthful and spry and whatever, and her mother is just too good at somehow blocking all attacks while holding a martini glass. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, the mom's abjure attack is a beautiful pony. Which yes. She, a giant stuffed pony, which she gives to Rose as a present. It's a real pony. Oh, it's a, it's a, like a live animal. I'm pretty sure it's a real pony. Oh my God. <laughs> the caption is a beautiful pony, which we <laughs> later find out that, um, so, so they, they have this strife, right? And we can we yes. can talk a little bit more about mom's moves and stuff, but um, I just think it's funny that the way that it ends is that mom just like Rose's mom just decides that she's done, <laughs> she just stops, yeah, um, and goes back to um, Rose calls it her ironic housewife routine. <laughs> um, she's she's just vacuuming, um, and um, and Rose is sort of making her way back out the house, and um, she walks past the pony and mentions that um, the pony's name is Maplehoof. Mm-hmm. Which I'm pretty sure Rose named the pony. Probably. Rose is beautiful and precious. Yeah, but she, she has an angry face, but there's a little heart between them. Yes. It's very cute. It's a very sweet moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then Rose's, Rose's um, sort of... POV for the rest of this reading doesn't go much of anywhere. We keep cutting back to her, but she's essentially just like messing around with her modus, talking to people, and walking to the mausoleum mm-hmm. where the generator is because she needs power. Um, and that's pretty much where we leave her. She's on her way there outside. We see um, the pouring rain that she's outside in, and we can see that not only are there meteors falling down, but now it looks like the forest all around her house is on fire. Hmm. So, and she hasn't even started playing the game yet. Yeah, it's just other people. Other people playing the game is kind of destroying the world. That it it would seem that way. <laughs> um, but so, meanwhile, as Rose is is sort of engaged in this battle with her mom, we are also having a strife between. God, I'm so bad at this. Um, <laughs> So while Rose is having this strife with her mom, John is having a strife with uh, what we find out is an imp. Wait, do we find out that it's called an imp? Nope. Okay. Forget that I ever said it was an imp. Um, With this mysterious little monster that Mm -hmm. turns up in his room, John is strifing. He um, is. So he pulls out his hammer, um, but he's tiny and small, and he breaks the hammer. 
Yes. <laughs> so he ends up uh, launching things out of his modus to um, hit the imp, and like he keeps picking things back up to launch the next item out. And it's just like this very cute back and forth uh, of him kind of abusing the rules of the universe to actually get the job done because he can't really fight with his hammer. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he. I, I love it because Dave actually mentioned something earlier in this reading about how like he's trying to weaponize his own fetch modus, be, or weaponize his Silidex, I think, because um, his bro has been telling him that's something that he needs to do. And like, meanwhile, everyone's been like shitting on John's like stack modus. Yeah. But like, I'm pretty sure, or like, I think it's a cue right now. Right, because it's first in, last out. And yeah. so, um, the fact that John is able to fight just by picking stuff up and launching it out is, yes. like, congratulations, buddy. You actually did weaponize your Silidex. Yeah. <laughs> Great you, job. You kind of found a loophole. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Alex... Nope. John? John. Do you mean, do you mean John? <laughs> um, so John... Um, Defeats the little monster. Yes. And there's kind of... Oh, wait, sorry. I wanted to talk about um, the music during the strifes. Mm -hmm. So during John's strife, it is kind of a different orchestration of the same battle music as um, was used in the dad encounter. Right. Which is our intro music. Uh, But it's it's a different orchestration. And then Rose's... uh, Rose's music is apparently you say it's called "Aggrieve" by Mark Hadley. Yes. So and it's a different melody. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if all the characters have different strife like themes. They I'm not sure I can actually recall about the strife themes. I do know that they all have their own sort of like haunting melody type of thing. Um, okay. Or maybe I think so, maybe like, Dave the- doesn't, but but um, but Rose. John and the fourth one that we're not going to meet for a while yet. I'll have okay. one. So the, those are like their their motifs, right? Yeah, and it's it's interesting. So so John's John's haunting piano refrain is also his um, like it's reorchestrated or it's like rearranged to be it's his, his strife his theme. battle. Yeah, right. And it's it's rearranged a couple different ways for his strife with his dad and now with the imp. Mm-hmm. Dave, we haven't seen strife yet. Um, and Rose's Rose plays a haunting violin refrain. But then I don't think that her strife track "Aggrieve" is a rearrangement of that. Right, I don't think so. But I, I'd have to double check. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm gonna let's look into that right now. That's what this podcast is for: is funny little tidbits like that. So yeah. let me hang on. Aggrieve. Oh, okay, so it is actually um, twenty-one, twenty-two is when Rose plays her violin refrain. Mm-hmm. Um. But it, I feel like it's a little bit less. Um, it's a little bit less melodic than sure. John's. So the theme of it is a little bit less um, obvious. But yeah, it actually does look like so. Uh, in Rose's case, aggrieve, like the strife music was the original, and then um, there's a rearrangement of that to be her violin refrain. Right. Okay. So um, so the violin refrain. Um, so Aggrieve is written by Mark Hadley, um, and for the violin refrain, it was arranged by Andrew Huo 
um, and mastered by Gabe, Gabe Nezevic. Um, so I guess that is a synthetic violin. I'm not really sure. Um, but then Aggrieve itself is just by Mark Hadley. Cool. So yeah, so cool. so the bottom line is, yes, um, Rose's, Rose's strife theme and her, her refrain are the same. Or are they nice. are thematically related. Nice. Yeah. Continuity. Ooh. Yeah. This, this comic was put together competently. Yeah. That's, man, that's what I love about this comic, is it sprawls the way that a superhero universe does, but it's not done by committee. Yeah. So it all comes together. It's, like, exactly what's appealing about reading, like, The Lord of the Rings. Right. Because it all ties together. Like, but all of it. I'd say this even more than Lord of the Rings. Because Lord of the Rings was very kind of post-hoc put together. True. Although I guess this kind of was, too, with the retrograde foreshadowing. So some of it is retroactive foreshadowing, but some of it definitely is, like, deliberate, like, thematic coherence. Right. And, like, recurring motifs and stuff. Right. So... Um, oh, I do just want to point out that, um, so, so John, John wins his, his strife and triumphantly slams the bunny into the box because the, the imp was taunting him by, we don't know that it's an imp. Folks, it's an imp. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like that's not an important th- spoiler to withhold. Okay. Um, it's, it isn't important. The name of them doesn't matter at all. Um, but so this, this little creature is taunting him by holding his like authentic, like con air prop bunny. And when John defeats it, he takes the bunny and, like, triumphantly slams it into the box so hard that it busts through the bottom of the cardboard mm-hmm. and, like, lands on the floor. Yeah. I don't know why I find that so funny, but I really it do. Good. It was a good visual gag. Yeah. Um, and then, after having actually won a strife, which is, I guess, actually the first time we've seen that in this comic so far. Yeah. John... He Levels picks up, up some loot. He does. So, and you actually, it was a nice touch that you actually, like, click the loot for him to pick it up. Yes, it's all very interactive. You get to pick up the grist and the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're deposited in front of this user interface, which I will talk about a little bit because we will see this again. Um, it's This is the level up screen. Yeah, yeah. So these characters um, do sort of... <sighs> Words. So it's interesting that, yes, Suburb brings you into this world and, like, the mechanics of the game interact with your real life, and it doesn't end there, and they're not surprised by this either. The fact that, like, you as a physical human being existing in the world can level up and, like, gain abilities, right? Yeah. So John um, has gone up two rungs in his Echeladder, <laughs> um, which is a portmanteau that I really like. Mm-hmm. And um, it looks like instead of lum- numbering the levels, you get ranks. And yes. um, one device that I really like about this page is that we see about 15 ranks in the section of the window that we can see on this page, right? Yes. But the scroll bar, like there's a scroll bar for it. And the and scroll bar is very small, small and yeah. very, like it's all the way down at the bottom with the implication that like there's a, an, an enormous ways to go which I get so excited about in video games. I love that. It's my favorite thing. When really? you find out, yeah, or like, like, like my favorite thing about starting World of Warcraft was like, I came in and I was this like useless baby running around in the forest catching rabbits. And then you yeah. would see people like tromp by on their like magic, right. like space tigers with these like cr- this crazy <laughs> armor and stuff. And they could like 
blow stuff up with like, oh my god, and like their abilities are so powerful, whatever. And I get so excited when it's like, I can do that. Look Aww. at how far you can come. Yeah, that is cute. So I don't know, and and these these kids do come enormously far in this comic in a lot of yeah. ways, and so I just ah, I get excited by that. <laughs> um. But then all of the all of the, the ranks are pretty whimsical. They're basically just different ways of saying good and silly child. Yes. Um, my favorite ones, Alex. What were your favorite ranks on this Eshel ladder? Um, it's hard to say. A lot of them are pretty good. I like Juva Squirt. Juva Squirt. Um. I also like Gad about Pipsqueak. Yes. Rumpus Buster. Brave Sprout. They're all really good. They're all great. I I was partial to Cool Buckaroo and Champ Fry. Nice. Because those are both things that I could imagine. Calling your child? Not so much my child. I love to, like, jokingly congratulate my friends in that way. Okay. I went through I a phase where I called people Champ a lot. Nice. Yeah. Um... So John levels up on his Eshelader, and he also deposits his newly found boon dollars into his ceramic pork hollow, <laughs> which, if it's not immediately clear, is in fact a piggy bank, but it is only ever referred to as a ceramic pork hollow. Nice. I'm an enormous fan of that nomenclature. It's, like, vaguely disgusting. <laughs> it just <laughs> strikes the perfect balance of, like... There's no balance to be struck. It's just ridiculous. I just like it. Mm-hmm. So we've got some more grist, mm-hmm. which means that we can do some more uh, modification of the house when Rose gets back online. Right. Yes. It means that they can build more, which will become very important in the future. I'm sure. I kind of, I kind of imagine like the house getting hugely expanded, like, overtaking the the void that they're in. Mm-hmm. But I don't want you to say anything about that, because that would be a huge spoiler. I will not comment. <laughs> um, oh my god, I really want to talk about that, and I can't. Shit. Oh, <laughs> this is... Yep. Okay, so that's... Yes, John, John gets some more grist, um, which means if Rose ever gets to a generator, she will be able to interact with his world some more. Mm-hmm. And I also I just like the idea of um, like plugging a laptop directly into like a diesel generator. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's obviously not that weird. It's just a funny image, right? Like it's doable, but it's just like, yeah, it's a little it's bit. Kinda, it's kind of silly. It is. Okay, I think that's. Oh, we should do we should do um, general impressions. General impressions. Okay. Um. Good. It was it was cool to to meet Dave and cool to see him kind of not be interested in the already set up conventions of meeting a new character. Um, like him slicing the name in yes. half. Yeah, yeah. Him him sort of in some small way at least demonstrating Lydia, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I like Dave. I like the way that Dave is introduced. I like who Dave is as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, 
God, he gets to do so much interest. All of these characters get to do so much really interesting stuff later on. Huh. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so so yeah, I think the the main the the we should do like highs and lows. Can we do that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um so meeting Dave is your high, I guess. Um or no, what's your no, high? No, I think he, my high was uh the the fridge. The Just fridge? The, uh, oh, the fridge war. Oh, yes. The fridge, yeah, the arms race. It was very, very funny. <laughs> I like that. I do like, it's not so much a war as an arms race. Yeah. I feel you. What was your high? Um, we should do lows first. Okay. Um, my low? Um, oh, what was my low? Setting aside the casual racism. Um, oh, really? That was going to be mine. Yeah. Um, my low... No, you know what? I'm just going to go out and say that. My low was, yeah, the, like, casually, like, problematic and offensive language. It, like... I'm, like, really attached to these characters, and it, like, hurts me to, like, see them written lazily and harmfully. Yeah. I, I don't love that. Um, I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed by it. Yeah. yeah, that's also Milo, but I'll try to think of something else. It's, uh, you can jump on the bandwagon if you want. Um, or if you have another low. I guess my low, a very minor gripe, was uh, rereading the same capture log from before. Just because like, it felt kind of cheap, like they were filling space. But it was for a cool, like, to show that time had gone back, like we were looking at the past again. Yes, I agree. I thought it was very cool. I don't know about you, but I just didn't read it the second time. No, yeah. I, like, I mean, it took me a minute to figure out that it was just the same as before. Oh, true. That's uh, true. If you don't know to expect it, you, you would end up reading... you Because you don't expect to read a large chunk of copy-pasted text in a comic. Yeah. So, so what, what was your high? Oh. What was my high? That's hard. I liked a lot of things about this. I think that my high was um, Rose's strife with her mom, mm-hmm. and specifically the pony. Yeah. I love a beautiful pony as, like, an attack of some kind. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, love, I love Rose and her mother. It's just such a nice. beautiful, fucked-up relationship. <sighs> nice. All right, so, guess what, Lydia? What? We have a question. Oh my god, for real? Who's it from? Um, our <laughs> first question comes from Tumblr user Dwellington. Our first question, not only just our first question, but our first question ever. Yes. Congratulations, Dwellington, and thank you for engaging. Do you know Dwellington, like, personally, or is this just, like, an interesting party on the internet? Um, I don't, but they follow me, and I've seen them, uh talk excitedly about the podcast. Oh my gosh, in, wait, that's... In, in the tags of our podcast posts. So thank you, Wellington, for caring about this. Yes, thank you, all. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the question, I feel like I should ask you, since you probably would be able to answer this well. Sure. Dear Hamsteak Podcast, your wonderful podcast is making me want to reread Homestuck, but it is finals week here at my school, and I have a paper to write. Please advise. Um, so what I recommend, and something that works pretty well for me when I'm doing the readings for this pod, because I'm also in school right now and managing finals and all that, um, 
So the bits that we, if you want to read along with us, we're only reading about 100 to 200 pages tops per week. Um, and we usually publish, um, I, we can start doing that, actually publishing what we're going to read for the next week so that you can read. That's probably a good idea. With us? Yeah, that's a thing that we should do. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, I mean, so one thing that you could do is read along with us, at least for now. We are going to read it rather a snail's pace. It's going to take us about a year to finish, um, at this rate, if we don't pick up the pace later on. Right. Um, but also what works for me is I just say that, um, I'll like set a timer and, um, and say that I'm only allowed to read for this amount of time because, um, otherwise, like I've noticed that the way that Homestuck is written is there's, even when there's a logical stopping point, the logical stopping points are written such that you don't ever want to stop there. Like if there is more content, you want to consume more context. You need to find out what happens next. They're all mm. like cliffhangers. So, um, it works better to just say, I can work for 20, I can read this for 20 minutes and then I'll go do the thing. And it also makes a good study reward. Nice. Um, or you can just not sleep, which is another way that I've handled reading Homestuck and doing school in the past. So another option. Yeah. yeah, I can't. I can't. Um, I can't endorse the second option, but you are more than you free. Also, you also can't stop anyone. I yes. All right. So thank you for the question, Dwellington. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's exciting. <laughs> oh my god, we got a question. We're like we're like real people. We're like real podcasters. <laughs> God. Um, okay, yeah, so so thank you for listening, and I guess this is the part now where we remind you where you can find us in person and as a podcast. Or, not in person, but as individuals and as a podcast. Well, don't tell us where, where we live. Don't tell them where we live. I don't intend to. Um, so, my name's Lydia. Um, you can find me on Twitter as BrickChip, like the word brick and then the word chip, spelled the way that you spell those words. Um... And you can also find me on Tumblr with the exact same thing, BrickChip. Uh, I'm Alex, and you can find me on Tumblr at LeafCrunch, which is appropriately seasonal right now, but will remain the same indefinitely because I'm finished with seasonal URLs. Oh, wow. What a pronouncement. It is too much work. Uh, And in that vein, you can find me on Twitter at Autumn. T-I-M-B, which we will not pronounce here on the podcast, but that will probably change soon because it's not autumn anymore, or it technically is, but it is getting cold. So I will find something non-seasonal to change it to next. Aw. It's been a good run. Yeah. I'm really going to miss your seasonal URLs. It was always, because you would never, like, announce it ahead of time. You would just, like, suddenly you'd be someone different. And it was like, <laughs> oh, that's Alex! Oh, and it's Aww. winter now! That's right! Like, Aww. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I will think about keeping it. Oh, no, but don't enslave not. yourself to your following. God. What else do I have to do on this earth? <laughs> you produce content first and foremost for yourself. That's true. Hell yeah. I, yeah. I don't expect anyone else but me to read what I say online. Oh, and yet. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, like, I, I, I know people are going to, but I don't, I don't belabor anyone who doesn't. Mm. I feel you. Um, right. Yeah. So um, as we mentioned, you are totally free to um, follow us, ask us a question, tell us how we're doing at Hamsteak Podcast 
on Twitter and on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. our SoundCloud account is hamsteak-podcast. Mm-hmm. And we also have a Gmail, hamsteakpodcast at gmail.com. Any, any way you would like to contact us is more than appreciated. So for next week, we're going to be reading pages 2306 through 2410, in which... Attempting not to spoil this for you, Rose defiles a tomb, Dave snoops on his bro, and Wayward Vagabond attempts to learn some goddamn manners. (laughs) I can't wait. Awesome. All right, so see you next week, guys. Thanks. Bye.